What's up? And welcome to Clarity for Parents of Athletes, bringing you stories from professional athletes about their parents and how they were raised. My name is Gabe Nocere from aclearmind.com. Oguchialu Onyewu proved to be a name that many people had just as difficult of a time pronouncing as many attacking soccer players had beating him in a 1v1 situation. His born name was shortened to be his more known nickname of Gooch, but his opponents still had a difficult time with him on the field no matter what he was called. Gooch's success took him all over the world with professional club teams in France, England, Belgium, Netherlands, Portugal, Spain, the U.S., and in Italy with legendary club AC Milan. This was in addition to him being on the U.S. men's national team for 10 years and serving a key role in the 2006 and 2010 World Cups. He also helped lead the U.S. in the 2009 Confederations Cup, beating Spain on the way to the final against Brazil. Now, you imagine a powerful athlete who ended up standing at 6 feet 5 inches tall was always the best where he grew up, but that's not the reality of it. So let's dig in and hear what it was like for Gooch during his youth career and what his parents and four siblings were like during his journey. All right. So, Gooch, first of all, thank you for being here. I really appreciate it, man. Uh, I appreciate you, uh, you know, inviting me, giving me some form of importance here. Yeah, well, you are important. Everyone is, you know. Um, But I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say so typically, I like to go into the history of people, not just their professional history, but their young amateur history as far back as they can go, and also family history. And I know you have four siblings, so I'm sure you have a lot of family stories, and you know, you're know you welcome to share as many of those as you want. But yeah, you know, I wanna, I'd like to hear the history of the Onyewu family as far back as you want to go. History of the Onyewu family. Wow. <laughs> let's let's see. Um, well, me and my brothers and sisters, <laughs> we were all born uh, in Washington D.C. Uh, in the eighties and the seventies. My two parents were born and raised and brought up in Nigeria. So we're the, I guess first generation of children born here and you know this was uh it was a different time than now you know 2019 you know the 80s and the 70s (laughs) was you know uh, a period of assimilation almost and it wasn't very popular to kind of broadcast uh your different nationalities or the fact that you weren't you know american american etc but uh, you know, it's a different time now, you know, thankfully, and, you know, I think more nationalities and diversity and backgrounds are being glorified. And people are taking pride in, in their, in their upbringings and in their, um, in their backgrounds. So, yeah, so I have two brothers and two sisters. Um, we all went to private Catholic uh, elementary, middle, middle schooling. My older siblings went to private high schools. Me and my younger brother went to public high school. Um, 
And yeah, we were just all very close knit family, very athletic family, very sports oriented. Everybody played some some sport or, or another. You know, back then it was uh, sport by season. So you played basketball in the basketball season. You ran track and track season. You played soccer in soccer season. Um, and so I did all of those just like every normal kid. Uh, and, you know, my path led me to the professional career that, that, um, that I've had uh, in my adult life. When did you kind of gear more towards focusing on soccer? Uh, to, to be fair, I always wanted to be a professional basketball player. Mm. <laughs> Funny as it is. And uh, like I said, back in the 80s and 90s, you know, there was no real, there was no you know, professional soccer league. So soccer wasn't really a lucrative escape for, you know, for a little boy. You saw Michael Jordan, you saw Scottie Pippen, you saw the, the, the Bulls. At that time, in that era, they were the – everybody wanted to be like Michael Jordan. So wanted to play basketball. Uh, but at the same time, like I said, you know, I was playing soccer in the soccer season. And I was definitely uh, excelling in both. But I was seeing, uh, you know, nice, fast, steady um, progression in soccer. And then when I came to high school, it got to the point that I couldn't um, – divide time between both sports so i had to pick where i was going to spend most of my time where i was going to spend most of my parents time driving me to practices and games etc and tournaments and um I, I chose soccer i chose soccer and you know followed it and it, it led me to uh this interview that that i'm on today <laughs> with some stuff in the middle of course right yeah, a couple a couple steps <laughs> not too many though <laughs> so with your four siblings you know five children your parents and with all of them playing sports your parents must have been driving everywhere all over the dc area yeah you know you don't think about that when you're young you don't really t you take that for granted you take your parents for granted and as an adult I, sometimes i'm I'm thinking back and I'm like, wow, like the stuff that they, <laughs> they did for all of us, you know what I mean? And, and as kids, you, you don't think about it and you really shouldn't think about it because you're just too worried about being a child and mm -hmm. certain things you think are expected and should happen. And <clears throat> being good parents, they made those expectations and those happenings come true. And as a child, you're not really focus on the intricacies of it and what it means and the, the sacrifices in regards to the monies that have to come out their pockets or the time spent or, you know, not sleeping and coming straight from work and taking you here and dragging you there and hotels for this tournament and registration fees for, for this sport. And, you know, um, I, I love my parents very much and, and I'm, eternally grateful for the sacrifices that they made and they know that in my adult life you know i'd give them the world and two times over um to to pay them back for all the the things that they gave me that's beautiful that's awesome so what was their role and again with five children you know you parents sometimes are spread thinly with the amount of energy 
and focus that they can give the children. How was that for you in terms of both your athletic career as a child and also other aspects socially and academically as well? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, my brothers and sisters always joke to me and my younger brother that my parents were too tired to, <laughs> to kind of be, to be tough on us because after the first three, they're just like, you know, I don't got the energy anymore. <laughs> um, but uh, it, we were kind of brought up in two different groups. Um, Cause my, my three older siblings are two years apart from one another. So my, my oldest sister was born and then two years later with my brother, two years later with my sister. And then there's a five year gap between me and my older sister. And then a two year gap between me and my younger brother. So me and my youngest, we grew up together, went to school together. And the other three, they kind of grew up together, went to school together. So, um, by the time we came around, uh, they were kind of old enough to, to watch us and not, not necessarily raise us, but, you know, keep an eye on us and make sure your brother doesn't get in trouble or make sure this happens, et cetera. So, um, you know, I spent a lot of time with my older siblings while my parents were at work. Um, they were both working parents, uh, while we were growing up, my father, I was in uh, hotel management, and my mother was a night nurse, so my dad would work during the day, my mom would work uh, overnight, and so they kind of alternated like that to to raise us when we were growing up. Wow, so the older siblings had to help out, really. Oh, yeah, 100%. But I mean, that, that, that's the culture um, that we grew up in, you know, once you hit a certain age, and in in your adolescence you have to take responsibility of what that age brings you and and part of that is your siblings if you're older um and and kind of helping out in the household i remember when i turned 11 it was time okay now you have to start washing clothes and ironing your parents work clothes and you know and making sure your little brother is getting up for school and, and and assuming that responsibility as well so um, there's definitely uh, those kind of uh, maturity milestones that are kind of thrown at you as when you're younger um, from the culture uh, that we grew up in, the African culture that we grew up in. So it, it teaches you maturity, teaches you responsibility, teaches you discipline very early, <laughs> very early. So that's definitely uh, something that. Uh, I remember growing up. So anytime immigrants come to the U.S., you know, there's usually this aspect of assimilating into the culture that they're living in, but still maintaining the culture which they came from and uh, their collectivistic culture. So how did your parents kind of, I guess, immerse themselves in that culture and kind of get you guys immersed in the culture and did they still keep the Nigerian traditions alive in your family? Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, just by my name alone, I think you can see <laughs> that, you know, I'm, my name's not Brandon or Jonathan <laughs> or Christopher or anything like that. You know, I, me, me all, me all, all me and my siblings have, have native Nigerian names, first, middle names. And that is a huge part of, of who I am. And, um, 
you know, as I get older, I understand more and more about my culture and more and more why things were how they were when we were younger, why my parents did things a certain way. And I'm grateful because I was able to come out and we were all able to turn out the way we did because of it. Um, I feel like we got the the best of both worlds. You know, we were brought up in a Nigerian household um, within an American society and education. So, you know, we left the house, we went to school, and there was the whole American vibe, American education, culture, et cetera. But as soon as you come back into the house, you already know that, you know, certain things that maybe that might fly and pass at your friend Johnny's house is definitely not going to fly and pass <laughs> in, in, in your house with, with your parents. So um, there is definitely that that fine line and, you know, the balancing act of the two. Um, and there was, like I said, in those days, the, the 80s, 90s, 70s, 80s, 90s, um, the feeling that assimilation within society was the proper rhetoric. You know, everybody had to feel American. You had to feel American, American this, American that. Mm-hmm. And there was a kind of an anti other culture and dividing the American values. Um, whereas it's not so much now. It's you know, I think people more so now are realizing that America is a it's a the salad bowl, you know? Um, and it's a it's a culmination of multiple cultures. That's what makes America America. And that's what makes this country so unique and diverse and eclectic that we're able to celebrate so many cultures but at the same time um, share the same nationality and share some form of common commonality mm-hmm. within being American. Did you ever grow up outside of your household feeling different? Um, different. Different in what regard? Different among your peers, you know, the quote-unquote Americans, true Americans, whatever that means. Um, I don't feel like I felt different, but, you know, uh, I will say that the first day of school every year was was always the hardest whenever they were doing the name call. <laughs> the, and the teacher comes, Jonathan Smith, uh, Brandon McDonough, whatever. And, and all of a sudden, you see her start grimacing. <laughs> you knew the you see it just like you see the frown in the forehead and they're like <laughs> and then that's when you just raise your hand because you know it's you mm-hmm. and as a kid you you know you're embarrassed because your name is a difficult name and it's not a common name that everybody else has and that was that that assimilation feeling like oh you're different your name is not like ours mm-hmm. and you know as a kid you almost had the, you, not that you were ashamed, but you're kind of like embarrassed, and you kind of, you know, squirm her down in your chair. And now I'm, I'm proud. Like I know what my name means. You know, it means God fights my battle in our language and where I come from. And so I'm very proud to to have a, a very unique, different name from from most others. So uh, I think definitely the first day of school were were was when I felt most. Uh, difference if you will use that word i use it lightly though yeah i definitely went through that myself you know like i could see i knew that my last name is no sayer so i knew as we get to the ends i was like i'm gonna have to tell this person how to say my name so how to pronounce it yep so god bless our battle is that what you said (laughs) 
God, uh, God fights my battle. Oh, God fights my battle. Oh, that's great. So is that Oguchi or is that Oguchi Onyewu? That's my full. That's my full name, Oguchi Alu. So I cut my name short to Oguchi because of the the issues that people had um, with enunciating my full name, and not that it, it's anything difficult, but I think once people see a name that's not the norm, they kind of shy away and get scared of it, even though. It's if you sound it out and have a middle school education, you can probably get it. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's, my full name is spelled O-G-U-C-H-I-A-L-U. Mm. But uh, as you know, everyone just calls me Gucci and cuts it, cuts it short to G-U-C-H-I. Mm-hmm. So when did Gooch come in? Um, in elementary school. Um, because like my full name, I just cut it to Oguchi instead of Oguchialu. And then people just keep on cutting that shorter, you know? So <laughs> Oguchi to Gucci to Gooch to some people call me O. You know, <laughs> whatever, whatever made it easier for somebody to, to call me, it's just, that's what it turned into. Mm-hmm. Um, so going back to your parents, you know, during the day-to-day of being at practice, being at games, how did they... I guess, act in relationship with you in the sport and from your parents to your coaches? Like, what was their relationship as well? My parents didn't have a relationship with any coach. <laughs> they, uh, my parents were very, they're much, and I get this from them, they're very nonchalant, very, like, easygoing and no stress. So, they just wanted us to be happy, live truly. I know it's very cliche to someone, the parents, be like, oh, I just want my child to be happy. But like literally, they just wanted us to be happy and have fun and play the sport. They never interacted, never got in front of any coach. Half the time they were watching from the car in the parking <laughs> lot, you know. Um, so there was no kind of interaction like that. They weren't the screaming parent on the sidelines, none of that. And you know, I'm thankful for that because sometimes I see, especially nowadays, I see these parents that just almost feel like they want to live vicariously through their child. And I'm just like, let the kid be a kid. Let him make, let, there's nothing wrong with a child messing up, you know? Um, and I think that a lot of people forget that that's part of the process um, of learning is, is, is messing up and letting your child mess up. Because I feel like, especially in youth sports now, once a parent steps in and speaks to a coach or kind of undermines a coach, all you're doing is undermining that coach in the eyes of your child. So if you're not respecting authority, why would you expect your child to respect that authority as well? You know? Um, and I think it's very important for, for parents to understand that and try and side and have constructive conversation with, with these coaches, with these uh, figures of authority. Um, even if Johnny or Joey isn't playing as much as you want them to play, you know what I mean? Cause at the end of the day, it's a sport. Everybody, it's not fair. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is life. And um, that's how it was. Like I wasn't the best growing up and my parents didn't care as long as I was happy. And um, yeah, that was it. So how do you feel now that you're, kind of on the other side of the sport as more of that authority figure and the role model and the leader 
How do you think parents who really just can't hold their tongue and they feel like they have to have a conversation with the coach, how do you feel what's what's the best way for them to approach a coach or the sporting director or whoever it is? I don't think it's wrong for a parent to approach a sporting director or coach if they have a legitimate concern. But a legitimate concern doesn't mean my son's not playing. Why isn't he not playing? You know what I mean? That's not a legitimate concern. You need to ask your son why he's not playing. He needs to be honest with you about why he's not playing. Um, but, you know, for the most part, I think that, you know, if parents want to have dialogue um, or kind of question your authority. I think the response is to tell them, ask them if they want to, if they, if they want to coach, then they should coach. otherwise then they should just be a parent and let the person that's actually dedicating their time for your child to be better to do his job or her job you know what I mean because at the same these these are these care workers or these coaches you know they're taking time out of their schedules taking time away from their children or their family or their wives or husband to work with your child and you're here giving them a hard time as if your child's the only one that needs to have any kind of attention, you know, as it's, it's a fine line and I get it, you know, people get passionate about their own child and as they should, but you know, you shouldn't lose focus of what the bigger picture is, you know, and the bigger picture is a group because you're playing a team sport. You're not playing tennis. You're not playing golf. You're playing a team sport. So it's, um, there's no I in team as they say. Yeah. You know, all these parents, I firmly believe that all parents are doing their best for what they're equipped with at the time. And, you know, we all want what's best for our children. What a lot of parents struggle with is that they come from a place of fear that their child's not going to develop and they're not going to do this or do that because they're not playing. Um, but it's amazing that your parents just kind of let you go on your journey. And, and you said it yourself, you weren't the best. I was raw. I was just fast and jumped and I was athletic but I wasn't the best soccer player and you know at the end of the day my when I when I went pro my parents were like you're not going pro you're going to college <laughs> you know so I was like oh oh okay <laughs> you know what I mean I was like oh okay I was excited I wanted to go pro out of high school they're like oh that's funny no you're going to college and I'm like okay you know so there the importance for them was was different than what you know, they showed me what real importance was. You know, it's not uh, chasing a chasing a dream or in, in regards to the, the sport. You know, that's always going to be there. You know, education, understanding yourself, uh, maturity, That's those are the keys to, to life and to success at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. So how do you feel that you went from just a raw athlete to eventually getting on the national team? playing at numerous clubs in Europe. So how did you go from raw athlete to there without having pushy parents? Because I had push within myself, Mm. you know, um, at a certain point, like like nobody can work for you. Nobody can do your, your job for you. So it's either you want it or you don't want it. You know, and these parents that want it more than their child, the child's never going to make it. You know what I mean? The child has to want it within themselves before anybody else can want it. And 
you know, at a certain point I was like, yeah, I want this and I'm going to do what I need to do in order to acquire it. And that's, you know, you, the light switch you turn on and, you know, you, you, uh, you do whatever it takes to, to achieve your, your goal. Simple as that. When did that light switch turn on for you? Huh. Um, I mean, I think it was always on. I've always wanted to be the best or better than everybody else in anything I did. Nobody else ever wants to be bad at something. So for me, it was, I'm, a, I'm a perfectionist by nature, anything I do. Um, so I, I, I didn't ever want to leave room for doubt. Um, but it was like when I was probably 15, that I was like, I want to be the best soccer player I can be. 15 or 16 and then you know started making the national team and then started and even when I made the national team I wasn't a starter you know I was last off the bench in the youth national teams when I first made it and it took me probably a good year or two to break into the starting lineup and, and secure my spot and you know it's about the grind and, and understanding that instant gratification doesn't always happen and you know, you have to work for, for what you want if it's important enough. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I believe that we get programmed by our parents, either consciously or unconsciously, to be the way that we are. Parents and also siblings and social surroundings. So this drive that you had inside of you came from somewhere. Now, where do you think, if you could pinpoint it back to way back, you know, that drive to always wanting to be the best, where did that come from? Um, it definitely came from my parents. I mean, honestly, when you leave a foreign country and you come to America, that's a this new country, this glorious country, this big country, and you literally have nothing. You don't have support. You don't have a family history behind you to kind of help you. And you literally have to start from the soil and the ground up and build your own future. I mean, that right there will... <laughs> and then and then as a child seeing that you know I always tell people like I had no reason not to be successful um, in everything that I was given and all the sacrifices that my parents made for me and my siblings to be successful like there was no reason that if they could you know uh, immigrate to this country with nothing you know, go to college, put themselves through college while having a family, get their master's, get their nursing degrees, et cetera, while raising how many kids? Uh, I have no reason whatsoever to complain about anything, any kind of circumstance that I'm in, you know? Uh, and that's, and that's how it is, you know, Adversity comes along and you just deal with it. That's how that's how I deal with life. If something comes on, I'm like, all right, I'm just going to deal with it. I don't cry. I don't pout. I might complain for a minute, but then I have to figure out the solution to the problem and, and move on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so many people get stuck in the just the fact that there is a problem, you know? Right. You're like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Well, what is complaining about it? How is that going to solve the problem? It's not. So let's figure out a solution right now so we can get out of this funk. Yeah, totally. So 
your parents just basically did their thing and role modeled. Really, that's it. They didn't need to push you. They just, you know, their work ethic passed on to you. I think so. Um, they <laughs> don't get me wrong. They they definitely were there <laughs> to uh, to force us and, and show us like oh, you better do your schoolwork. You better do this. You better do this. And, you know, education is a huge thing for us. And you know, my my siblings, my oh, two of my siblings have their doctorates, and the other two are engineers. So. I'm here, the dumb dumb that just kicks a soccer ball. So, <laughs> you know, uh, we just try to be successful in whatever we do. And, and my parents always say, you know, whatever you do, do your best, mm-hmm. and don't give reason that afterwards you say you wish you would have done more. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's 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 the best way to live. You don't have regrets, and you don't have resentment. Beautiful. So it sounds like you might have had some experiences with sibling rivalry. <laughs> to be honest, no. There was no sibling rivalry. Uh, because my older brother, I looked up to him, so I wanted to be everything like he was doing. And he, he's probably the reason I got into sport. Because whatever sport I saw him playing, I wanted to play that sport. He's seven years older than me. So I saw him playing basketball. I was like, oh, I want to play basketball. I saw him playing soccer. I was like, oh, I want to play soccer. I'm running track. I'm like, oh, I want to run track. And then my little brother, probably the same for him was anything I was doing, he wanted to do as well. So I don't think there was a sense of rivalry. It's just you wanted to be like the next, you know? A lot of families, I imagine, they're, there's so much competition within each other, within siblings. And I wonder if the collectivistic nature of your family really let for more of a supporting role to happen and mentoring role than a competitive role. I'd hope so. <laughs> I'd hope so. <laughs> I, can, I can truly say that there was, we were not in com- competition with one another mm. in, no, in no way, shape or form. Mm. Nah. That's great. My first supporters. That's awesome. So that support went from high school to college at Clemson and do you want to pick up the story from there, your journey into your professional career? Uh, yeah, I mean, support was always there from, from Clemson to my first uh, contract in France with FC Mets. I mean, my, my father and sister were with me when I went to France to, to choose where I needed to live to my younger brother moving out with me for the first four weeks of me living in France, um, you know, and every country in between, uh, they've all come and visited me. So um, huge supporters, um, always, every game, national team games, World Cups, traveling, the whole family coming, supporting me. Um, so that's always almost been probably probably take it for granted just because it's always there you know and it's almost assumed but you know i see it's 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 sad because i have friends that don't have that relationship with their siblings or their parents and i'm thinking wow that's you know it's weird to me to not be a close-knit family but you know as you get older you understand like every family is just not like that every family's doesn't like each other (laughs) it's weird to say that but every family does not like each other um 
and I'm, I'm extremely grateful um, for the the family members that God gave me. You know, He uh, <laughs> made us get along, so I'm, I'm happy for that. Yeah, it sounds like you had an enormous amount of love in your family. Yeah, still do, still do. Yeah, that goes a long way in being able to do anything, especially to do it at such a high level and do it successfully like you did. You know, the more love that you have, you know, emanating out of your being and also receiving it from people that you love as well, the more powerful you end up becoming. Mm-hmm. I feel so as well. Um, so from France to, you went to Belgium, right? France to Belgium, uh, Belgium to England, back to Belgium to Italy, to Holland, to Portugal, to Spain, back to England, and then finished my career in Philadelphia. Hmm. Yeah, world traveling. Yeah. What was probably your, you know, if you could pinpoint one stop along your professional journey where you learned the most about yourself, where would you say that was and what did you learn? Uh, it was my first year in France. I definitely learned the, learned about myself the most that first year because I was alone, didn't speak any languages. Um, you know, there was a, one of my ex-teammates, uh, Connor Casey. Um, at the time, he was at Borussia Dortmund. And we played together in one of the youth national teams. I think it was the under 20s. And <clears throat> I knew at that point I was getting ready to kind of go overseas. I don't know if I had signed yet, but he was already there. And, and I asked him how it was like to, to, to live in Europe or to live outside of America and et cetera, et cetera. And I will never forget that he told me, he's like, when you live away from home by yourself, you will learn so much about yourself that you never knew. And I was like, what do you mean? I remember asking, I was like, what do you mean? He's like, you'll see. And I definitely understood that more once I moved over there. Um, you learn about how strong you are as a person or how weak you are as a person or what's your breaking point or what point, how, how, how much can you bend before you break or your mind goes crazy, you know, because at that point, the only support, obviously you have support with your, your friends and family in terms of phone calls, et cetera, but nobody's there to physically support you, you know, and you have to be your own anchor. Um, and you have to find ways to motivate yourself to, to wake up, to, to, to do it all over again every day and, 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 and find that and that internal motivation within yourself to, to push forward past adversity. And I think that that first year was, was telling for me personally, uh, more so than any other, uh, any of the other years. Yeah. I think a lot of parents and players have this fantasy of like, I'm going to go to Europe and I'm going to play in these big clubs and, you know, I'm going to really develop, but they don't understand the reality of it, what it's really like. Mm-hmm. They, they have no idea. And, you know, you see that a lot. You know, players go over and then all of a sudden they come back. Mm-hmm. Um, and they make a 
excuses as to why, you know, and maybe sometimes in circumstance, but a lot of times it's, not easy it's, it's not easy moving to a foreign country it's not easy easy having a bullseye and a target on you every day because you're the american you're different you don't speak the language you stand out you know what i mean um and a lot of people can't take that pressure because that's it, it's pressure it's, it's pressure to have that on you and um it's a lot easier to to not have it to to um to 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 be in a situation that's within your comfort zone, and I always tell people, you know, success is uncomfortable, you know, and there's nobody that can tell you otherwise. You know, any any successful athlete or or person will tell you, you know, they had to step out of their comfort zone in order to to reach the levels of success that they had. You know, you look at Cristiano Ronaldo; this man is a monster in terms of his work work ethic mm-hmm. you know and he's he's made uh let's how do i put it he he's made his uncomfortable zone comfortable because that's just ha- that's his habit now is his hard work and his ethic it's just his habit you know i'm sure messy is the same way I, mean, I know michael jordan and kobe bryant they were exactly that way mm-hmm. you know what i mean um and they just set a standard for themselves that you know perfection wasn't enough you know, um, and 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 that kind of that kind of mentality is is what what pushes true champions forward. Mm-hmm. So for these players, and really the parents who also are daydreaming about Europe and other places outside of the U.S., outside of their comfort zone, what advice would you have for both the parents and the players who are thinking about that decision? Um, I would just let them know that it's not all rainbows and, you know, it's a great opportunity, but opportunity doesn't mean that it's always going to be wonderful, you know, and that there are going to be hard times for your child and, and, you know, you have to support him to push through it, you know, because, you know, roller coasters are fun, but sometimes they're scary too, you know, and, you know, all, all, just like they say, all good things come to an end, all bad moments come to an end too. And you have to, you have to understand that you have to believe that and you have to push through those, those moments in order to get to the good ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you had to push through some difficult moments uh, in, in Belgium, if you're open for talking about it you know, your experience with racism, and I think both among fans and a particular player as well. What was that experience like for you over there? Um, you know, I always tell people that, you know, racism, unfortunately, it's not going anywhere. It's a mindset. Um, there's, there's racism in every country. It's a little different in every country that you go to because the history of it is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's unfortunate that even today people are still experiencing it. You know, when I played in Europe, I experienced it in, in not just Belgium and multiple other countries, you know. Um, but there was an incident where that has since been uh, resolved. <laughs> but a, a player had a few choice words with me and called me a dirty monkey um, 
a couple times on the field and I wasn't standing for it because there's no reason that I should. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I kind of uh, filed a complaint against him, uh, an official complaint against him in the court. Um, but then, you know, I dropped it. I didn't want to do it to win money or send anybody to jail. I wanted to do it to, to bring awareness to improper behavior, um, definitely in sport, but also in life. You know, there's no, there's no room for such, such silliness or such kind of mindsets or ways of thinking. You know, we're all, we're all individuals. We're all human. We all deserve respect. Um, and, you know, I think it's completely ignorant to, to use somebody's skin or culture or, or ethnicity as a negative for any reason. Um, you know, for me, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't equate. It does. It doesn't add up in my head personally. And then, and it boggles my mind to, to know that it, that is the reality to so many people in this world. I love how you stood up for yourself, but it seems like in a very respectful way, not in a necessarily fighting fire with fire type way, but just demanding like somebody be a little more conscious about their behavior, really. Yeah. You know, the funny thing is, uh, I actually like the guy and, you know, I don't, truly believe he was racist I, I believe that in certain moments uh in that moment actually he was trying to get a response out of me mm. um and i feel that he took the wrong method to get a response out of me. There's, <laughs> there's a million other ways you can get a response out of me than to attack my my skin color mm. or or anything like that you know and 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 like i said i didn't do it to I'm in jail or anything, but uh, for him to understand that that should never ever happen again. Those words never need to come out of your mouth for any reason, you know. And um, I think it's at this point I got my apology, which is which is for me was was all I wanted. Um, and you now that was that. Mm-hmm. Awesome. What would you say are a couple highlights of your career that really stand out for you? Highlights. Um, Highlight. Uh, the uh, 06 World Cup was a highlight. Um, you know, it, it's funny. You you see the the current national team and the age of the players um, on the team right now. I think the average age is like 22 or something like that. Um, and at the time in 06, I was one of the youngest on the team at 24. Oh wow! You know, it was a different. It was a different era. Soccer was different, um, and you know, I remember myself. It was myself, uh, Demarcus Beasley, Landon, and I think the other two young ones were Clint Dempsey, Eddie Johnson, and uh, Bobby Convey. So we were all like a year apart from each other, but at that point. To, to be a starter at 24 years old on the national team in defense was crazy. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm, I'm playing alongside my, my childhood idol, Eddie Pope in a world cup, you know, it was, it was surreal. So for me, it was 
the 06 World Cup because um, so many aspirations and dreams and accomplishments came into fruition right there in, in an instant. You know, it's like, wow. You know, I came from Olney, Maryland. You've probably never heard of that city. Olney, Maryland, um, a nobody, and I'm playing in a World Cup in front of hundreds of thousands of people watching, mm-hmm. if not millions of people watching. Mm-hmm. You know, so that, that was special for me. And then to, to, to top that off, my whole family was there. Oh, awesome. They were all there watching. How cool. So, you know, I'd like to fast forward. You're going to have a conversation with yourself. Um, well, when you and I met a couple months ago, you were talking about your future son, right? So you know, I'd like for you to fast forward to yourself as a parent. When your son, your future son is getting into sports, what advice are you giving yourself as a parent? <laughs> Not to be those parents that I criticized earlier. <laughs> Uh, no, I give myself the <laughs> advice of uh, allowing him to, to be his own person um, as long as he's a soccer player. No, I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> no pressure, though. No pressure. No, zero pressure. No, I, I, I want to be the kind of parent my parents were, and they let me blossom into whatever I was going to be. And fortunate, it turned into a, I turned into blossom into a soccer player, but I could have done anything else i i wanted to be a lawyer i could have been an artist i used to draw um but they were um really focused on uh nurturing whatever talents i had and making sure i was happy within those talents and and then just letting them grow into whatever whatever they could grow into mm-hmm. So you're working with a lot of younger kids now down in Orlando with Orlando City B. You know, what do you think these kids, you know, I feel like it's harsh to say what do you, what do they need help with the most, but you know, I'm actually going to say that. Uh that's what I'm going to ask. What do you think is kind of lacking in their persona nowadays compared to when you were their age? Um I would say that in regards to the evolution of sport in the player, <laughs> they're a lot more physically equipped than we were. You know, that's just the evolution. I mean, look at, you know, basketball players back then to LeBron James now, or, you know, look at sports faster, younger, quicker, all that. So I think physically they have more tools than we ever had to be successful. Mentally, I don't believe that the current generation is as strong as the past generation. Mm. Um, I feel that, you know, everyone says, um, speaks about this entitlement uh, to, to younger generations. I, I do feel hints of that um, with them um, in regards to what they expect versus what has been earned. Um, and I've had hard conversations with many of them because at the end of the day, they've, you haven't done anything. 
you know, you, you haven't done anything in your career to have a chip on your shoulder. You haven't done anything in your career to expect silliness from other people. Um, you haven't done anything in your career yet to to make outrageous demands. You know, um, respect is is something that's earned, and it's earned every day. It's not a one one off. It's not it's not oh today I'm gonna get respect. No, it's a it's a constant thing. You know, it's a habit. You respect the person because that person. Um, uh, personifies a certain level of respect every day. And I tell these kids, you know, uh, being a professional <clears throat> doesn't necessarily mean you're the best soccer player on the field all the time. When you're a professional, you're a professional on the field, off the field. When when you're not playing soccer, you're a professional. How you live your life, you're a professional. How you treat people, that's being a professional as well. You know, and and I take that very seriously because there are very few people that, will say that they've had bad interactions with me because you know that's part of my persona as i want to make somebody happy i want to bring joy into somebody's life i don't want to make somebody miserable or bring them down you know um <clears throat> so i would say that these kids um they if, if i could have them work on one thing it'd be uh mental toughness a little bit um but aside from that, I think they have uh, all the tools in the world to be phenomenal, you know, and it's, I, I sound like an old person, but every generation says it about the generation before them, like, oh, you didn't have this, you didn't have that. Uh, I feel like these kids have so much at their disposal, you know, and I, I, it, it's crazy because I look back at like youth soccer when I was growing up and what, what youth soccer is now, you know, just, just with the uh, development academies and, and all this stuff and what they're, what they're offering kids in terms of trying to make them become the best them, you know, that's, that you shouldn't take that for granted, you know, and, you know, it's, it's a big thing. And I think that they need to understand that. You know, this is it, it, it's big sacrifices that people are making for them to to uh, to succeed in their sport and in life as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, I know I kind of went off on a tangent, but that's uh, that's that, that's, that's, that's great. My yeah, I think there really is a double-edged sword of trying to make your child's life easier and create opportunities for them instead of making them work a little bit for things and. And allowing them to fail and making them earn the opportunities, not so much give them those opportunities. Uh-huh. So if you had two bits of advice for parents who are raising athletes, uh, or three or four, whatever you want to do, go ahead. You know, if you had some advice to give parents, what would that advice be for parents who are raising athletes these days? Um, hope for the best, but prepare for the worst. Um, you know, I was blessed with the career I had, but I'm not ignorant in knowing that I'm probably 2% of the population. Mm-hmm. Um, and that as many people succeed, you see, you know, a team, a professional team of 20 something, there's hundreds that failed 
to achieve that. You know what I mean? So as good as your child is, statistically speaking, he's probably not going to make it. And that's the sad reality of it. Like everybody can't make it. It's, it's, it's just the reality of the situation. And, and, and how are you preparing your child if that were to happen? Mm-hmm. You know, how are you preparing him for life if he's not to succeed in sport or in whatever endeavor he's doing? You know, what's the backup plan? What What are his morals? What are his fallbacks? Plan B, you know, because um, I know everybody wants to be a pro. And I know it's very hypocritical for me to say it because I was, but, you know, I, I was lucky. You know, I, God bless me, I was lucky, you know, because there was many turns in my path of becoming that I, if I made the wrong other, a different decision, maybe I wasn't, wouldn't have been a pro. You know, I, I could have ended up something else, you know. Um, so I would tell the parents that, you know, hope for the best and plan for the worst. You know, always be prepared. So get them doing other stuff other than sports, it sounds like. Is that where you're coming from? Yeah, just, you know, you don't put all your eggs in one basket. Mm-hmm. These kids need to be well-rounded, you know. They're just getting stuck, a lot of them, doing one thing. And I was guilty of that with the club team that I coached. They were pretty good, and I said, no, you have to dedicate yourself to this team, you know, and you can do other stuff if you want, but you can't miss practice and you can't miss games. Um you know, and, and yeah, they were great soccer players and ultimately they were great in academics, but I feel like they missed out on other activities and opportunities, you know, uh, when they were kids as well. Right. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Awesome. Gooch, well, I appreciate you enlightening us on your journey, especially delving into your family history. I definitely learned a lot myself and I'm sure some other parents will as well. I appreciate it. Well, well, I hope you. Got, I hope I didn't talk your ear off. And no, I love it. Ho- hopefully, nobody took offense to any any kind of stances <laughs> that, that I said. Mm. Send all my all your emails to Gabe. Don't don't send them to me. Please. <laughs> I'll just forward them on to you though, uh, so you can see what I'm dealing with. No, I I appreciate it, man. Best luck to you down in Orlando and wherever you end up next. All right, thank you, man. Appreciate it. Thank you. Now, just like in my last episode that I did with Doug Flutie, I decided to do my takeaways in a separate episode. So I encourage you, highly encourage you to move on to the next one so you can hear my takeaways from this amazing interview with Aguchi Onyewu.